Good morning, friends. Uh, today's message is titled Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind. And I'm going to wrap up a seven-part character study I've been doing over the last couple of months, particularly on the Sundays that I'm not preaching at some church somewhere in the area or even out of state. The character study is who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it means to be his followers today. And the objective of all of these messages has been the same as Paul mentioned in Philippians 3, that we will know him and become like him. Let me quickly just touch on some of the highlights of the previous messages. The first one is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Second, he's also fully 100% human. Now, I know a non-believer sometimes struggle with the idea that he's God, but believers sometimes struggle with the idea that he's human and that he was, as Hebrews says, tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. Our third message was about how Jesus came to show us all what it means to live a life wholly surrendered to God. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That gives a great example for us to follow. In fourth, we talked about Jesus the teacher, and how he teaches no theory, only practical application of spiritual truth. <clears throat> Mainly he talks to you about you. He never makes it easy for us to look down on others. Instead, he challenges us to put his words into practice in our own individual lives. Uh, fifth, we talked about Jesus as the miracle worker who was moved with compassion at the suffering of others and how through faith in him we can ultimately conquer any challenge life throws in our direction. And sixth, we talked about Jesus' ultimate mission. He came to seek and to save what was lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to pay a debt. He did not owe for those who owe a debt they cannot pay. He came to die on the cross for your sins and mine so we can experience salvation, forgiveness, peace with God, and peace with ourselves. When I shared this message a few weeks back, I said that if I only had one sermon in this whole series to preach, it would be that sermon, the sermon about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Now, that's true with just a small addition. It is true that if I only had one sermon to preach about Jesus, I would preach that sermon just as I preach it. However, I would add something in today's message to the conclusion. In other words, it would be a really, really long sermon. Today's message is significant because we'll focus on the fact that we're not here today to pay homage to a dead man. We're not here merely to remember our leader who lived so long ago. Rather, we're here to celebrate the fact that uh, this Jesus, who lived so long ago, is alive today. 2,000 plus years ago, he died a violent death on a cruel Roman cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. His enemies thought that that was all there was to it. But on the third day, as you know, God entered that cave and breathed life into his nostrils and his lungs filled with air and his heart started to pound and his blood began to flow. And he stood to his feet and discarded that shroud of death and he walked out of the grave victorious over death. And he lives today. It was not a spiritual, ghosty type of resurrection. It was not a symbolic resurrection. It was not merely a resurrection of memory, as if to say, though he is gone, his memory, memory lingers on. No, the resurrection of Jesus was a physical, bodily resurrection. And then over the next 40 days, he appeared to his followers on many occasions, giving them conclusive proof that he is, in fact, who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. After his resurrection, you can see a huge difference in the behavior of his disciples. 
Remember, when Jesus died, he died alone. Everyone abandoned him except his mother and the apostle John. And then just a short time later, all those who had abandoned him returned. You soon find them preaching the gospel boldly in the marketplace in spite of fierce opposition, persecution, and even threat of imprisonment. And this is how they lived the remainder of their lives. Nearly all of the apostles, according to the historical legend, died the death of a martyr, with the exception of John. Now, what made the difference? What changed them from being cowards to being courageous? Well, I think there are two reasons. I think the primary reason for the radical transformation in the lives of the early apostles is that they had a firsthand, face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ. He was alive, and then he was dead, and now he's alive again. They realized that if he can conquer death, there's nothing that the world can do to me because he has authority over it all. For 40 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he appeared to his followers on several occasions. He continued to teach them kingdom principles and taught them about what was to come. And then, right before their eyes, he ascended into heaven. Among the last words he spoke to his disciples was to give them a mission, to preach the gospel all over the world and make new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow his teachings. And then he said this in Matthew 28, 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So where is Jesus today? Well, physically, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. But he's also right here with us, not just in memory or metaphorically, but in a real and literal sense. This means you can encounter his presence every day of your life. He's with you always. That's his promise. So let's today just think about three ways you encounter the presence of the risen Jesus. First of all, you encounter his presence through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait until they were clothed with power from on high. He added in Acts chapter 1, In a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's exactly what happened. Jerusalem was filled with visitors from all over the world to celebrate the feast known as Pentecost, a major Jewish holiday. And the disciples gathered in an upper room to pray, and then suddenly the sound like a mighty wind filled the whole house, and flames of fire rested upon each of them, and they all began speaking in different languages. And as they moved out into the streets, people from all over could hear them praising God in various languages, and they were amazed. They even asked, how is it that these unschooled Galileans, which is about like saying these hillbillies, are speaking the languages of our homelands? Peter took the stage and stood before the crowd and preached the gospel, and afterwards 3,000 people were saved. Today, churches all over the world celebrate this event, calling it Pentecost, the day we celebrate the beginning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. Jesus said that you'll receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happened on Pentecost, and it still happens today. Now, remember when I said there were two reasons to explain the disciples' radical transformation from being cowards to being bold and courageous and willing to die for him. The first reason is that they encountered face-to-face the risen Christ. The second reason is that they experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is where the power to live the Christian life comes from. Before Jesus died, he told them that he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell with them. John 14:15. I will ask the Father, and he will give another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And then he added in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. 
Did you catch that? I will come to you. Jesus is saying that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with his presence. I will be with you. And we talk about asking Jesus to come into our heart, and there's a sense in which that's what happens exactly. I mean, Jesus comes to dwell in your spirit through the Holy Spirit. For this reason, you don't need to pray to a God who's millions of light years away or on the other side of the universe. You pray to a God who's right here with you. I often remind myself of this through the day. When I'm in my car, I'm not alone. He's there. When I'm in my study, I'm not alone. He's there. When I'm surrounded by people who are none too fond of me, I'm not alone. He's there. He is there through the presence of of his Holy Spirit who dwells in your spirit. This is why we need to ask God every day to fill us with his spirit so that we can fully experience the presence of Jesus. Well, the second way you encounter his presence is through the community of believers. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, Where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Whenever you come together as God's people, we can be sure that he's here among us. Several years ago, a number of staff and lay leaders were gathering, uh, we were planning a worship event, and as we were planning out the details, one of them used an interesting phrase. They said, let's do this and see if God shows up. Now, over the time of an hour or so, they said it two or three times, let's see if God shows up. And initially, I thought they were just joking around, but finally I said, you know, I'm going to be nitpicky here, but I realized that it's just a phrase. But if there's any doubt that God is going to show up, we should just plain simple cancel our plans right now. Like I said, they were just using the phrase that people in the church often use, but the problem is that it's a phrase fraught with theological error, and we should really never use it. When we come together in his name, God will show up. Jesus will be there among us. His guarantee, he is here. Sometimes we might not make him feel welcome. Sometimes we might try to hinder him from moving among us, but we can be sure that he is here. I love this phrase from the King James Version in Psalm 22.3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. That's still true today. God inhabits the praises of his people. When the community of faith comes together in his name, he joins the party. It's a Holy Ghost party. It's a Jesus party. He's there. We don't have to wonder if he's coming. We don't have to wait for him to show up. We just have to acknowledge his presence among us. That's why when you feel like you're far away from Jesus, you should attend a worship service because he will be there. We encounter Jesus through the indwelling of the Spirit. We encounter him through the fellowship of believers. And third, we encounter his presence through those who need our ministry. Jesus said that on the final day of judgment, there will be those to whom he says in Matthew 25, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and then feed you, or thirsty and give you something? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. 
Now, we've seen before in this series of messages how often Jesus was moved with compassion to help those who hurt. We've seen that he expects us to pick up where he left off, reaching out to those in need. But this is where you might say the plot thickens. He said, in effect, when you minister to those in need, you're not just ministering to them, you're ministering to me. Mother Teresa once said about her mission in Calcutta, Every day I seek Jesus in all his distressing disguises. You know, friends, there will be times you can be sure it will happen this week when you encounter a person in need and you'll have at your disposal the wherewithal to meet that need. It may be a few dollars. It may be a word of encouragement. It may be spending some time with someone or giving someone a ride somewhere. You may not recognize it at first, but Jesus will be present in that situation. The compassion you show to another, he will receive for himself. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want a personal encounter with the risen Christ? Well, I can tell you where you can find him. He's at a soup kitchen. Maybe you could go there and serve him. He's at a busy intersection selling newspapers to the people waiting for the light to change. He's in the home of an elderly woman who can't take care of her lawn anymore. He's with the overwhelmed father who can either pay to have his car repaired so he can keep his job or pay to take his son to the doctor, but not both. You can encounter him in the person who has failed so many times in so many ways that it seems no one would ever love them. You can encounter him in the person who has been tossed aside by the rest of the society. You will encounter Jesus this week, friends, no doubt about it. And he will be disguised as one of the least of these. As his follower, he's reminding you that when you reach out to them, you're reaching out to him. Again, I'll say it, friends, Jesus is alive today. This is one of the many things that make him different from all the other religious leaders of the past. We're not here to honor a dead man, but to celebrate the one whom death cannot contain. His resurrection proves to us that he is who he said he was. John 14:6 has Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is through faith in him and through following him that we experience life, new life, his life in us. When you receive Jesus, he takes his residence in your spirit through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you first became his follower many years ago, so many years ago that you sometimes forget that he is right here with you all the time. Maybe you forget sometimes to acknowledge his presence. I think we all do. In order for us to accomplish what we've set out to do in this series, we to know him and become like him. We begin by making it a daily habit to acknowledge his presence. When you wake up in the morning, remind yourself, he is here. As you go about your day, he is here. When you close your eyes at night, he is here. When you come to worship, he is here. When you see a person in need, he is here. He promised it would be so. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you can be sure one thing is true. He is here. The question you may ask and answer all throughout the day is, how then will I respond to his presence in this moment? God bless, friends. <laughs>